Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, taking place last week was the Irish Management Institute, better known as the IMI, National Leader, Leadership Conference, um, celebrating 70 years. One of the speakers caught my eye on the agenda. He's the former Twitter EMEA VP, a globally renowned podcaster, author of the best business book of the year, 2022. And his name is Bruce Daisley, and he joins me now. Bruce. You're so welcome to the programme. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. We'll talk about Twitter in a minute and all that. But you and your route to Twitter, uh, you I understand you used to work for this great organisation that currently employs me called Bauer Media. Is that right? That's right, yeah, that's right. You, you know, um, my first love was radio. I'm, I'm obsessed with radio. I still listen to, to Stacks of It every day. And so I work for Bauer Radio, and, and they own radio stations not just in Dublin, but across the United Kingdom. They own radio stations across Europe now. But, yeah, so radio is my first love. And, and what so- did you do there? I was in a commercial role, so sort of partly halfway between sort of uh, sales and just business development, really. Right. So your route to Twitter, which I'm really intrigued to talk about, how did you find yourself there? Or what was a... What was your route there? Yeah, I was work, working in radio. Radio was my main love. I um, Someone said to me, look, I'd been in radio for about a decade. And someone said to me, would you be interested in coming to work for Google? I'll be honest with you. Tech firms have got this magic to them that they pretend that they've they're better to work at than anywhere yeah. else, right? We hear these myths about them. It's like, oh, well, the culture there is incredible. The free food. Right, free food's <laughs> the big one we hear, right? And so you hear this stuff that it sort of makes you think, I'd be, I'd be bananas not to go and work there. Anyway, um, I went to, I had the opportunity to, to go and work at Google. I have to tell you, you know, the thing I try and tell people all the time is uh, I w- want to disabuse this idea that they are in any way better than anywhere else. Okay, look. I'll give you that, you know, it's nice for someone to provide free food for you. And I have to tell you, if you've ever worked in an organisation that's cut costs, I was convinced the free food was going to be gone in months. So I didn't used to eat it. (laughs) I was convinced that don't get yourself too hooked and addicted on that, because when it's gone, you'll be too upset. But isn't it it a reality, Bruce, that, you know, we've all had different jobs we all have good days and bad days in any job. So no place is going to be utopia. Exactly that. But I became obsessed with something that I witnessed. I think anyone anyone who's had found themselves in the world of work will relate to. I, I became obsessed with that idea that some organisations have just got a better culture to them than yeah. others. So they're not the big ones that provide free food or tell you they've, they've got the better culture. But there is something in the dynamic we have. We've all got a favourite team we were part of or a favourite time that we're, you know, where we were in an organisation, time where there was just a connection. Actually, you wanted to hang out and laugh with these people. And I've become obsessed with that. So after I left, I worked at Google, then I worked at Twitter. But after I left, I found myself becoming sort of a writer, a consultant about workplace culture and and how we can capture that mojo of a great workplace. Okay, you skipped a big piece that I wanted to talk to you about there when you left Google and joined Twitter. So maybe set the scene for us. When you joined Twitter and your time there, 
What stage of was the organisation at? Yeah, there was. It was probably four hundred people, five hundred people when I first joined Twitter. So really small organisation. You could sort of wander the floors of it. You'd, you'd meet everyone. The, the moment you sort of set your foot, set foot in San Francisco, and the offices in Dublin and London were just opening brand new with sort of first hires. Um, so it was a really early stage. Twitter, strangely, had been going for about eight or nine years, yeah. but it, it it didn't really have a business. It was this small, almost college project, really. And so it just had started trying to be a bit more serious, a bit more mature. And so I joined at that stage. What a, what a time to join any organisation. Small teams are always fun anyway. And so, you know, if you've got a small team, the team in Dublin was sort of 10 people. The team in London was 10 people. When you've got a small team, you often... You just don't get trapped with a lot of those bureaucratic elements of work. Yeah, it's yeah. often the bureaucracy that kills us, right? You know, on average, people are spending 20 hours a week on video calls right now. It's bureaucratic. It's, yeah. It feels like it's getting nothing done. And small teams don't have that. They have this ability to get things done in a sort of energised, quick way. But when a business like that is growing at the speed that it's growing, which is which is like, so you say you started and there wasn't that many there, but pretty quickly it builds... And it gets very complex very quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think from the outside, here's what I'll say, that quite often when you work at a technology company, people will say, oh, that must be the easiest job in the world. And what you forget is that the expectations are dizzyingly high. So, you know, you might look at Google, you might have a friend who works at one of these technology companies, and you think, oh, man, that must be the easiest job in the world. What, TikTok must be the easiest job in the world. And what you forget is that the demands upon them are sort of claustrophobically strong it's they'll be overwhelmed with what they're expected to do and so that's the challenge of tech firms and one of the other things about a tech firm is that there's so much invested before profitability happens and you know you can be writing a lot of big checks before the payday finally comes and that pressure must tell that's right. Someone's invested a pile yeah. of cash and they want a double, <laughs> yeah. doubly big pile of cash back. So that's right. And so you often find, you know, when I eventually left Twitter eight years later, I think my boss had been fired six times. My The chief exec had been fired twice. You know, you just get this, this turnover that people exit the building because they didn't live up to expectations. And why did you leave Twitter then? You were, at that stage, you were the... Uh, EMEA vice president, fairly senior role within the organisation, eight years in. Yeah, it just kebabs you. To to be on a plane all the time, to be constantly travelling, to be um, to be in that stressful environment and and witnessing all of your colleagues and friends sort of not make it. After a while, you just reach a stage where you're like, I want to catch a breath. Yeah. And, you know, someone once described to me the environment that you're often in in those those companies. You know, Twitter's famous for it's never been the most profitable. But someone said to me, you get to the end of every quarter, you feel like you've run a marathon, and someone <laughs> hands you a cup of water saying, you're ready to start a marathon. And uh, it's like, it's that environment where... the next one. Yeah. yeah. So you, you reach a stage where I think it does have... And I'd set up this podcast about workplace culture. It was doing really well. I was getting people saying to me, oh, would you come and do a talk here? Would you Would you come and do a day's work with us? And I thought, you know what? This might be my opportunity. Little did I know a global pandemic was going to start six weeks later. And albeit 
that obviously that disrupted how any of us could work for the next couple of years. It did mean that there were more changes happening in the world of work than ever before. So actually I've done quite a few events with the IMI and to be to have the opportunity to be in the room for their national leadership conference was fabulous because to be in the conference was so different to being on a Zoom call on a on a sort of Teams meeting doing it for the previous couple of years. And you were talking then to the IMI about uh, diverse workplace culture. What are your own thoughts, Bruce, about where it's all going? We saw, you know, the big shift to move from home. Now we're clearly seeing a lot of big organisations saying, we want you back in here. Certainly we want you in two days, three days. Where do you think it's going in terms of where it's going to land? Well, two-thirds of bosses believe that we're going to end up back in the office five days a week. Do they? They do, right. Right. And you can see that, you know, some of the bosses are thinking, I'm going to incrementally edge an extra day in. I'm going to I'm going to make a suggestion here. I'm going to do something here. So bosses believe we're returning. But I think broadly, um, I think most of us have realised that we will push against that to some extent. And the reason why is that so much of modern life sees us failing. You know, these, there was a one wonderful commencement speech by one of the giants of American television, a woman called Shonda Rhimes. And she did this commencement speech a few years ago and she said something really sort of captures a moment. She says, every time you see me succeeding at something, it means I'm failing at something somewhere else. Right. right? And so she says, every time you see me collecting an award or, or presenting something... I wasn't there for my kids or I had to tell someone in my family I couldn't do something. Now, a lot of us had that degree of compromise to our lives that, you know, we were balancing so many things. And what this changed four years has enabled, it's enabled us to say, okay, maybe I can feel like I'm doing my job well without necessarily having to leave the home at uh, at 7.15 every day and get home at 8 o'clock. And I think it's allowed us to feel like we can renegotiate the the norms and feel like we're doing a good job. So, look, there's there's plenty more runway on this one to go. But I, I think we will end up with... You know, two or three days in the office will probably be an established norm. But there are going to be some organisations that say, we want everyone in five days a week. What we've seen is there's evidence that suggests that the more days people have to be in the office, they should expect to be paid slightly more. And so, okay. so there is going to be so a, a that's, price that's trade-off. That's going to be the divide. I that think will, so. So you have work, because, you know, when you think about it, I suppose from a business perspective, you know, you sell up your house in Dublin, move down to West Cork, Absolutely. buy something a quarter of the price. You now have, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you've appreciated an asset that is your house. So maybe, like, the like the remuneration will find its level. And I think that's what generally happens, that it will eventually recognise what people's needs are and what people's costs are versus what you get paid. Yeah, and there's a f- exactly that. You, we are going to see a levelling because you can imagine that if you shipped out to, to West Cork, to Galway, you've gone somewhere where you can just live a beautiful life, then you probably will say, I'm not saying you should expect less cash, but you probably will say, you know what, my life's so rich yeah. and wonderful now. I'm willing to trade off a degree. No, I, I am not saying that you should have to, but I suspect there will be a levelling where other employers 
employers will come along and say, you know what, that's a committed worker there. And if if their current bosses won't have them, I will hire them. So look, begs it begs a lot of really important questions. How can we be recruited for these remote-only jobs or these hybrid jobs? How can we find a balance where we find the jobs that were yeah. suited to us? It's also funny, is it not, that if you, I find this certainly, that if you now have to commute somewhere or you have to go somewhere, an A to B, you almost feel that it's a waste of time. Like, I'm sacrificing this time in traffic when I could be either maybe doing work productively or being at home I, with my family. Absolutely true, right? Yeah. You know, in the old days, if someone said, I'll meet you in the city centre, we can have a coffee, you wouldn't have thought anything of it. So get it. Now, I'm like, okay, that's costing me about three and a half hours <laughs> yeah. of time. Like, well, I could just do this as yeah. a 15-minute Zoom call. So I, I suspect the, the truth is we've got so much incredible technology that we weren't using until this big disruption. The challenge is, and I think you've mentioned it along the way, sometimes the challenge is is that we don't necessarily feel the same connection, the same affinity. And great cultures generally have a sense of connection between them. Yeah. You know you, you know it well that sometimes when you, you finish a long day and you have a laugh with someone, you know, there's it's, it's times and place where people might extend yeah. their working day to, to go and have a, a, a chat with someone over a drink. And But you know that often that didn't feel like you were being forced to do it. It felt like, actually, I'm... I'm deriving so much pleasure from that. Yeah. And there's a really interesting thing, right? You know, the more social connections we have, it's the biggest predictor of our health. You know, the there's a wonderful show on Netflix that's showing at the moment, which is called uh, Live to 100. And the big thing that they found is that the more social connections you've got, yeah. the longer your life. Yeah. And so we shouldn't be living through our working age, our working lives in this impoverished, lonely isolation. You know, if we're seeing no one every day, if we're sitting working on a laptop in the in the spare bedroom, it's, it's it might be a more flexible version of working. But it can be miserable. But it's a, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a monochrome version of the, the way we should live our lives. I yeah. think. Now, Bruce, I can't have you here without asking your views on the current... Twitter scenario, somebody who worked there for eight years, you must have been outside looking in at that saying, my God, what is happening here? Yeah, anyone who worked at Twitter found themselves all, all the time being sort of challenged and criticised, saying, oh, you're making such a pig's ear of that. And and actually, at least it demonstrates that someone else could do it worse. <laughs> uh, the, the truth of it is this, is that... I'm really optimistic about social media. I'm really optimistic about what social media can do. And whether it's just about bringing a a connection of a local campaign in the UK, forgive me, that we're, we're polluting our shared seawaters with just pumping loads of, of uh, sewage into them every day. No, social media is brilliant for mobilising the voices against that, for saying, actually, look, we've sort of identified that this is a bad thing and we, we're bringing a campaign against it. Social media is a really powerful force for democracy. The challenge is, though, that it needs to be run in a responsible way and it makes you realise that at times it's a degree undemocratic when when we're waiting for a billionaire to decide how they're going to run these platforms. And was it, in your view, a reaction of someone who paid too much for something saying, oh, I've paid all this money for this, now I have to basically slash the costs, I have to get a revenue model in here that's commercial and I have to tear up the rule book of how this business ran and create a new business? 
Um, he, I'm intrigued but with this guy as much as we all are. Maybe he occupies too much of our attention. But whatever his plans were, by his own uh, admissions, he's halved the revenue. So Twitter was making about $5 billion every year. Not an insubstantial business. It's now making $2.5 billion. So if his plan was re- revenue maximisation to try and bring it to profitability, then... He's, he's starting from a much start harder position now than he was when he took it over. And this is why he's such an enigma, because it's it's like a destructive pattern of play. Yeah. It's, it's like someone deliberately scoring an own goal when they, they realise the, the, the match is going against them. It seems... It's really hard to interpret. But what I will say is that I think what it should do, it should remind all of us that... Actually, probably a degree of regulation is helpful for for social media. You know, right now there's been well this whole year there's been a really hard a, a, a hard news agenda. You know, yeah. sometimes opening the news is heartbreaking. Yeah. And the worst possible thing is that you open the news and littered amongst the stories you're reading is lots of misinformation and people who are deliberately subverting the the truth. And yeah. unfortunately, under Elon Musk, the EU of have written to him asking him to address it. And Elon Musk, it's got worse. So, you know, um, I feel... I feel distanced from it in the sense that, you know, he's clearly free to make whatever decisions he wants. But there is a consequence to to these things. And I, I do hope that, as democracies, we're able to hold him to account. Okay. Well, listen, you're a revelation and you've really, really, I'm really enthused now after talking to you. Uh, Bruce Daisley, folks, uh, formerly of Twitter, formerly of this parish, indeed, Bauer Media. Thank you so much for your uh, revelations and your, your views on workplace culture, Bruce. Very refreshing. Thank you so much. Cheers. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.